Welcome to a new episode of the Cartridge Club, where we discuss our game of the month with members of the Cartridge Club community. If you've played along, you can always share your own experiences in the forums at cartridgeclub.org or in our community Discord or across social media by using the hashtag Cartridge Club. Hello, everyone. It's Rocket Sauce, and for this episode of the Cartridge Club, we played Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Joining me on the show, we have community members Caleb, Jeremy, and Diego. Now join us as we talk about The Witcher 3, the game that won the Patreon vote for Season 7 of The Cartridge Club. When it comes to The Witcher 3, what are your overall thoughts, Caleb? Oh man, where do I even start? So um, I, ch I chose this game as the Cartridge Club Game of the Month uh, because it was probably the top game in my list of games that uh, I feel like as a, as a self-proclaimed gamer, I should complete and know because everybody loves it. Everybody raves about this game and how great it is. It's a game that made CD Projekt Red like the beacon of, of development idealism that they are and so i was like i gotta play it and i played it tried playing it twice in the past and failed both times uh which for reasons i'm sure we'll get into but i was like you know what this is the time i can get a whole community i can get my friends around me to push me through we can do this together we can do it and so that was sort of the impetus to the game now to the question of what did i think of it <sighs> um so i i i finished it which was a, a positive sign i suppose though probably more out of obligation than desire but i thought it was an okay uh ex it was an okay experience for me I, I definitely know there's a lot of people out there who absolutely love the witcher 3 and i definitely understand why they love the witcher 3 so any negative criticisms i have on it other than those that i will specifically point out as gameplay and mechanical problems are probably mostly like personal preferences so for example uh the aesthetic i'm not a huge swords and sorcery guy like that just kind of turns me off of games my logical brain can't handle them you know, if there's a locked wooden door and Geralt can't go through it, I'm like, use magic. This is a world where magic exists. You can do that, you know. Um, so I, I was like, so that kind of stuff, just that logic puts me off. Once I got past that, I really, and this took a good three or so, four hours maybe, I kind of started liking the game a little bit more because I realized it was less combat heavy. It was more about the dialogue and the relationships and the engagements and things like that, which I much prefer but that kept going way more than I really wanted it to or felt like it needed to. And I went, I think, as as most direct path as I possibly could to the end. And and it was still felt a little bit too long. But again, I know that's probably personal preference. This world just doesn't excite me. And it's hard to, no matter how good a game is, or gameplay-wise and mechanics-wise, it's hard to live in a world that long that you just don't have any affinity for or really care for at all. So... I was iffy, glad I finished it, glad I could uh, put that notch in my gamer belt, 
Um, but it, it was it was a little bit, bit iffy for me. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit. So, you know, not to uh, basically copy everything that Caleb said, <laughs> but I'm going to copy basically everything that Caleb said. So, kind of the same thing. This game has always been kind of in the periphery. You know, heard about it a lot uh, in gaming circles, being a very good game and something I should play. In fact, it was one of the first recommendations that I got. You know, when I first bought an Xbox One, I bought it pretty late uh, in its life cycle, only in 2018 or something. And so, you know, I've known about this game for a long time, but it there was something about it. That it I mean, there was nothing really about it that, like, was immediately drawing me to it. So it just kind of stayed on the periphery, just stayed on the shelf, you know, until uh, the opportunity came to play for this Game of the Month uh, thing. And so, you know, picked it up, played it for uh, about 15 minutes on my first go and uh, it didn't immediately catch. And so um, I kind of just set it aside for uh, like a week. Like I didn't even get past the intro part because <laughs> I just it, it just didn't pull me in uh, immediately. And so I put it put it aside for a week and came back because, you know, we had to do this podcast. <laughs> and um, so picked it up and played it for a good, I think, five hours and things were starting to click a little bit more. But slowly i was i think realizing that it just wasn't uh, a game for me i'm someone i, I do uh, uh differently than caleb i do like the swords and sorceries stuff but uh, i like uh, i think a little bit more focused gameplay and as you start coming into this world it's a very vast world it's very expansive there's so many options in it it gets to be pretty overwhelming and so as I'm playing through and playing through all the systems that are coming up, I'm like, oh my God, oh, I've got this to do now. I've got this to do now. Now quests are popping up. I got this Gwent thing going on. Uh, you know, I've got, oh, bombs and inventory management and all this stuff, um, you know, repairs and everything. It just, for me, because I like that more focused gameplay, it became a little bit uh, overwhelming. And so <laughs> it was kind of uh, triggering my anxiety a little bit. So I would say, um, Overall, it's a very competent game. The world is very fleshed out and uh, and expansive, like I mentioned, but not a game that I really uh, enjoyed or took to very much. Um, and and you know, I want to point out uh, another uh, something that Caleb brought up because I, I experienced the same thing. Where you know, this is a very uh, expansive game, rich with options and everything, but then you come to a locked door, and you think oh, I'll just use my kinetic blast or something and open it up or burn it down or something. And it, it doesn't work. <laughs> and you're like, hmm, that's a little weird. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's even in this, like, expansive game, they put in these, like, limitations, you know, these, uh, uh, you know, checks and balances or systems that prevent you from doing things you would think would logically work, um, but uh, but they don't allow you to um, uh, to do that in the game. So... Yeah, so anyway, overall, very competent game, but not something, uh, not my cup of tea, I guess. I can completely understand. I, I can see see all your comparisons, guys, here, um, your debates. I'll say right off the bat, because I'm going to come off probably ultra negative here throughout this whole show on the game, but I like the game. So I want to get that off the bat. I like the game. Completed it. I didn't complete it. I shouldn't say that. I, I beat the game. I did a lot in this game. But 
Yeah, I liked it, but I have a lot to say about this game in 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 a negative way. You know, it's like others have said before me. I've always kind of wanted to play this game. It's always been like I've heard so many people talk about gotta play Witcher 3. It's a great game, fantastic game. You know, I, I've had people who are like, Oh, you love Zelda? You love Breath of the Wild? Witcher 3 did it better. What did it way better than Breath of the, uh, than uh Breath of the Wild? I'm like, oh, okay, well, Breath of the Wild is a pretty damn good game. I I will, you know, I kind of really want to play this. And granted, Witcher 3 came out in 2015, and it was 2015's game of the year by the video game awards, and there's other accolades, other websites have given it their game of the year. So it's got high praise coming in to play this game. But there's so much I hated about this game. I thought the combat was terrible, and it gets better. It gets, you know, the more you level up, you know, the better the gameplay gets. But your weapons are weak, and they break, like, very much like Breath of the Wild. So if people told me, you know, oh, you like Breath of the Wild? You must love that broken weapon mechanic. Well, guess what? This one originated that that awful idea. I hated that so much. Or, But, you know, it's great, you know, like, when you, you can kill other people. Like, I never did any of the going to a blacksmith and having them craft the sword for me. If I found it by quest... Or, you know, killing some bandits or something like that. That's how I obtained my weapons throughout this game. And then there's all these different ways of playing the game with your magic that you can use. Or your, um, like the two swords you have. You have a steel sword and um, a silver sword, sorry. Because I was trying to think what the other sword was. But yeah, so it's like that comes into play for humans versus creatures. So there's all these neat little things about the game. But like how weak the weapons are and how weak you are to start this game, I was like, ah, you know, uh, it was very hard for me to like this game. Granted, I did, and maybe it's because of the story-wise. But for me, it and maybe it was also not the best time for me to be playing. I was playing Ghost of Tsushima uh, alongside this the same exact time. And granted, there's a five-year difference between these two games, and these two two games do a lot of things similar that they're both open world. And that, you know, they have, I don't want to say the same mechanics for all, but, like, there's a parry system, but I thought the parry system coming from a game out now was significantly better than the parry system that was in this game. And it, it maybe that some of the stuff affected my overall opinion of this game, but it really, for me, was that my biggest criticism of this game is you start off so weak as opposed to, I guess I'll bring this back up to Ghost real quick. For Ghosts of Tsushima, even though you start weak, I never felt weak throughout the entire part period of the game. I felt like, okay, cool, I got this. Well, I'll understand this, and I just will continue to get stronger as I go. And it, it happened. I never once felt like frustrating, pulling my hair out, you know, hating the gameplay of this game. Well, Witcher 3, on the other hand, I felt so underpowered and weak where wild dogs and wolves are just taking me out instantly, you know, with with, with, uh, with the gameplay of this game. And it wasn't until you get better weapons... And it, you don't have to do a ton of quests. In my opinion, I had to do a ton of quests before I actually started to feel comfortable with my leveling strength up in this game to, for me to actually start liking the gameplay of this game. And even, th- even that was kind of weak for me. I don't know. That was just my, I guess, my overall thoughts of this game. And maybe maybe one of the top talking points we can put on uh, a bit later is I, I specifically played this playthrough of the game on the easiest mode because I had tried twice before and I'd run into some of those issues that you had and so rather than being you know pulled away and distracted by a lot of those issues weapon breakage feeling like you're underpowered all the time I was like I'm gonna get rid of that 
and see if I then still like it. So maybe at some point we can kind of go down that path, but probably not quite yet. So. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that the uh, that there was a difficulty setting that allowed you to take that away. That's cool. Huh. That's neat. Um, you know, you're talking about uh, leveling and everything, and and I guess this kind of like relates back to weapon weapons breaking and stuff. But one thing I was uh, noting, and I said it in the uh, chat we had going, is that combat, like combat experience, is so low. You know, so you almost want to avoid the combat because getting into combat means then you have to go back to repair your weapons and everything, and you got to find uh, the money to be able to do that. So it's like you see a group of people and you're like, oh, man, uh, can I just go around them? I don't want to deal with this right now. Like, they're going to give me almost no reward, and I'm just going to have to spend money to repair my gear. <laughs> Let's not also forget that there's different currencies for different parts of the different villages you go so some money like your crowns don't work in this town so you'll have money for one area and not and money for different areas so you might be weak in money in one area while having more money in, i don't know yeah uh, and see and and actually that's something um i never even uh experienced because uh i didn't get that far in the game <laughs> i saw my I, back guys. I don't know what you're what you're complaining about it's game's <laughs> fucking awesome um, <laughs> It is bleeping awesome. Let me put it that way. Um, but I think my love of Witcher 3 is probably attributable to me being a father of a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. And let me give you why that is so. You know, when you're, when you're childless and, you know, newlywed, everything's great. Like, you plan out everything, goes according to the way that you want most of the time. You wake up at 9 a.m. on a Saturday and you say, I'm going to have a late breakfast and then we'll go see a movie. And, um, and you know, it's just according to plan. You If you have a plan set forth, you don't get derailed by by things. And then you have one kid. And, um, and it's a little bit of a jarring experience, but you adapt to it. You know, so it's like, oh, okay, well, wait, wait, wait I got to go on quest with no shield? I need to parry? What is this? Like, how? I, I need to have a shield if I'm to defend myself. Well, no, you have one kid, you realize, oh, I got to learn how to parry. Okay, so I learn how to parry, go on my merry way. And you have two kids. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm going to be tired all the time. Not only do I have to parry, but my, my swords are going to break down. And I'm going to have to do that on top of it. And, and you stress yourself out, but you manage, you manage, you know, you realize you're just never going to sleep. You'll always be hungry and tired and irritable because they'll never sleep at the same time. One wakes up the other, it's interlapping. And then as soon as they're able to be mobile, they're going to fight with each other nonstop. But then you get a hang of it, right? So you realize that, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to have to watch out my pairing. I might need to throw in some, uh, some protective uh, signs and or get better at this dodging and rolling in order to not wear down my sword so much from parrying and then slicing. Maybe I'll, you know, instead of being an idiot and just hacking away at a guy that has a lot of armor, I'm going to be good and use the, the mind control delusion sign because then he just stands like an idiot and you can slice him in half right away. Um, and then, then your wife tells you, by the way, I'm pregnant again. We're going to have three kids and you're outnumbered. You're outnumbered. So you just give up. 
you give up trying to do everything orderly and keep all your tasks in line. You just give up. And when you can accept that whatever it is that you remember to do is good enough, you can actually have fun with this game without feeling the anxiety of need, needing to stay on top of it all. Um, and so I wonder what game I'll like when the fourth one comes around because my wife is pregnant uh, with our fourth. And, uh, she, you know, as long as she doesn't go into labor today because the baby's due later this month, uh, we'll, we'll be good. And I'll, I'll stand up for the virtue of this game. So you're you, know, what, you were Witcher already prior to playing this game, right? So this was this was nothing. This was nothing. <laughs> I don't think you've sold us on the game or parenthood. I think <laughs> no. I, I I've, I've, we just had our first one, and we're about to have our second. I'm like, wait a second. The second one is when you don't get sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, oh, I mean, well, I'm glad there's a game. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad that you're here, though, Diego, for multiple reasons. The least of which is you can add some balance to this otherwise probably lopsided conversation. So that's awesome. Uh, I, I will say this when, once things started getting a little bit leveled up with, with your character and you started getting these like cinematic scenes where you're just like chopping dudes heads off in combat and cutting them in half. I was like, okay, this is cool. You got my interest right here when they started doing that stuff, but that did not happen in the beginning of the, of the gameplay. And maybe it's, it's a game of being aged. They like said it's five years older and it's five year old came out in 2015. So maybe it has to do something with the time, but it it was just I don't know. It I said I liked it, but I don't know. I go. Do I want to continue playing? Because I I bought the complete game of the year edition, and I did not touch the two story packs, which now I'm adequately leveled up to do. Because you can granted it, you can start it after a certain point in the game. Says okay, these two quests are now completely available to you if you choose to play alongside it. But I was not at level thirty-two, the, the recommended level thirty-two. Now I I'm at thirty-four when I beat the game. And from my understanding, there's no level cap in this game, so you can keep continuing getting stronger and stronger. I did not. Maybe we should talk about this right now. How did you branch out your um, your because there's like several tree branches here with this game with like your magic you give you, you get, when you get experience points you can lay it on combat you can lay it on magic you can lay it out on alchemy yeah mm -hmm. alchemy um did you have like a preference of like you're like all right I'm doing a lot of this this is what I want to be stronger or I'll give you an example I'll, I'll start it off with this uh when I found out like you can influence people's minds if you level that up like you didn't have to worry about paying for stuff too much. Uh, you can trick people's minds into stuff, or you didn't have to go into the combats. That was like the first thing I went after right away because it prevented me from getting into fights that I didn't want to do because I was too weak. Uh, and then eventually got to the point where I didn't have to pay people for like bribing them to get into like a quest. Like they'd be like, okay, yeah, whatever you get to go in right away. So I, that's, that was the first thing I did. And then I think I really kind of started to focus more on shield uh, fire and then basically it was just combat with uh, light light attacks and heavy attacks. That was seemed to be the best option for me for how I, how I was playing the game. I did what I always do with these types of games, and that's that I front loaded all of the attack power and health increases. Like that's I pretty much dumped all of my experience into those, and everything else was like I I have to use it, so I'll go. Ahead. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, and this again I I have to preface and say I played on the easy mode, so a lot of the nuances that I think are 
insisted upon with the higher difficulty levels aren't really there. So like there is weapon degradation, but it's not that offensive. It takes a long time for your weapons breakdown. Most of the enemies can just be blunt force brutally attacked. Like there's not a lot of, you know, uh, combat scenarios that require you to necessarily use a lot of the signs. It makes it a little bit easier and a little bit better, but like even the wraiths, which I know you can use signs to trap them so that they can't like dematerialize and then you can hit them on the easy mode like you don't necessarily have to do that like you could just swing and swing and swing and eventually they will rematerialize and you can kill them in like one shot or two shots so um i i dumped a lot of of my points into those two the health and and the and the other the, the couple reasons for that is one anytime a game like this happens and when there's a choice between magic and uh like physical attack i feel like the physical attack is just generally a smarter decision just from a logic perspective because when it comes to magic you have certain types of magic that affect certain types of beasts and you have to keep that in mind you have to understand okay fire kills these guys you know uh whatever kills these guys and you kind of have to keep that in mind whereas generally speaking the physical attacks will still attack anything it might not be as effective but you can generally still attack anything and so that prevented me from having to remember those various like uh uh assignments for magic versus the type of specific creature that they could they could kill and then also because you can stack multiple levels or multiple uh i you can put your experience points multiple times into the same uh attack and health slots meaning a better way to say that might be attack for example you can level that up five times and you only have a total by the end of the game you have a total of i think 12 i think slots that you can put your attributes into and if you stack the health that still counts as one slot so i'm able to stack that up five times but still only leverage one slot whereas with a lot of the other ones there wasn't as much stacking and so you then have to become more creative about how you want to assign certain slots and things like that so for me it was just a dummy move like it was just easier and i didn't have to think as much about it so that's the that's the path i took yeah, I did exactly the same thing. I uh, leveled up my uh, fast attack and health. And then I began, I think, uh, the telekinesis, or not the, is it telekinesis? The kinetic energy one. Um, I used that spell quite a bit for crowd control measures until I realized when you went into the monster um, compendium or whatever it's called, that there are, in fact, uh, spells or spells that um, are stronger against certain types of monsters and I was like oh crap maybe I gotta like uh, level up different ones but from what I understood from the from the game is that you know when you put your points into certain things you have to then equip that is that right so at the low level I was at putting points into something wasn't necessarily good like I'd have to go back into the menu and swap them out if I wanted to take advantage of it and so that you know to me was a little bit more cumbersome than I want to deal with. So I just kept leveling up the kinetic blast and uh, just using that and, and the shield. The shield was uh, pretty OP with, um, uh, you know, some enemies that uh, were a little bit higher level than me that I could uh, take out as long as I could do enough damage to them, you know? That is generally how you take people out when you can do enough damage to them that <laughs> they have no damage left. <laughs> Got a little way at the health, yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I, you know, I, what I found interesting was the whole, the mutagen factor. So I normally probably would have done what you guys did, but because of the fact that like 
there's no red mutagen apparently in this world. I, there, there must not be. I never encountered any. I'm not done with the game yet. Uh, I am, as far as main story goes, able to leave Skellige, but I have to romance Yen for the second time, so I've got to do that first. And I just kept encountering green and blue mutagen, and I'm not a huge alchemy fan, although I, I did convince myself to buy Atelier Ryza because I want to get good at alchemy, guys. Alchemy. And uh, so I, I, I basically powered up all my signs first because I kept finding blue mutagen. And so I'd factor, I'd increase the, the um, enhancement by having, you know, it's, it's like three per quadrant, three in a quadrant and have the blue mutagen be influencing the effectiveness of those three attributes. So uh, I got really interested in, you know, figuring out what my signs did in various situations. Uh, you know, the Igni got really cool once you level that up and, and you can do like a spray of Igni fire. It was, you know, quasi Skyrim uh, type of action there. Uh, so that was, I mean, that was cool. That's, I, I wound up doing a lot of things like that, where like I have a preset way of how I'd want to do a game. And I think it's almost like I was stuck in Breath of the Wild mentality. And then I get into this game that doesn't really follow those conventions for me. And so I tried to let the game tell me how is the best way to play this game. And since I'm used to people telling me what to do and used to me trying to tell people what to do and not have them listen to me, I just, I accept it. I accept it for what it is. You know, you bring up the Red Mutagen. It's in the game. I found two of them. But yeah, uh, so the Mutagen, the, the thing is, I could only find nothing better. I, I imagine it's in the game, but the Mutagen I find, like, there's, like, no differences. Like, the Water Hag, Blue Mutagen. I'm like, oh, maybe this will have some extra effect. No, it's like, oh, this increases your... The best, like, I've seen was 20%. It gives you 20% additional bonus uh, magic, or for the Red Mutagen, 20% extra melee attack power or something like that. I, I never found anything better than that. And then I... I put in, I think it was 76 hours in this game. I did a lot of questing and killed a lot of monsters. And that's where it seemed to come from more than anything. I think, I'm trying to remember where I got the Red Mugen from. I want to say it was maybe killing a beast. I, I'm probably wrong. Uh, it's it was, like I said, I only acquired like two of them throughout the whole part, part of the game. Another, you know, I guess here's another mini gripe about this game is I hate having to dump stuff because I'm... Um, I can only carry so much, and that was one of the perks I did pick up was carry 60, I don't know, 60 more pounds or 60% more power to carry stuff. So I was like definitely picking that because they definitely get to a point early in the game where it's just like you're, you're carrying too much and then you can't run. So then you can slowly lock, and then what do you do? You can't, you have to find a chest. And then at that point early in the game, the one chest you might have found is like way over another village. You know, it's like, I can't fast travel here. I can't fast travel there because you have to find a post and there's no post fast travel post around me here. So that, that, that's a gripe for me basically, but it got taken care of pretty soon after I acquired that carry additional items perk. But 
uh, that I, I hate having to dump stuff. I love picking stuff up. I love picking stuff up and not dropping it. But the game gives you so many swords, and eventually you have to start looking at it. Like every time you pick up a sword, like nope, this is garbage. Then drop. Oh, this is garbage. You know. So I don't know. I think is something I'll say on that real quick is um, I don't know if you guys have picked up on this or not, but I, I'm a very weak individual, uh, weak physically, weak willed. Uh, I'm a I'm an atrocious example of of a human, and so. Hence, playing on easy mode, of course. So I've developed over years of playing video games and having a desire to always be as overpowered as possible. Like, my favorite thing in a video game is to grind for a billion hours so that when I get to this big boss, it takes, like, three seconds and I don't have to be anxious at all. Um, again, I'm very weak. So my, some of the learnings that I had taken from those histories, I kind of applied here one putting the game on easy mode, but in reference to things like the waypoints and things like that, or, or being over encumbered, some of the first things I purchased when I found them were like the additional saddlebags to increase the weights, the weight capacity. I would routinely, anytime I went into a, a village, I would sell off all of the junk. And so I, I used to suffer this problem where I was like, what if I need this junk? What if I need this in the future? I better hold on to it. What if I need it? And I realized, I think probably through like playing Skyrim or something, that when you end the game and you have 78,000 bottles of potion that you've never used, it's like, I'm, I'm not playing the game right. There's something the game is trying to tell me. If they give me something, they want me to use it. And so I got to, a, I now play games where it's like, I sell all of my junk when I get into a uh, into a into a town because I know I'll find it again. Like I just will, and if I don't, I can always buy it from some other merchant or something. So that helped eliminate some of the not having enough gold because then I had plenty of gold to buy anything I wanted throughout the entire game. It eliminated the burden of being over encumbered and not being able to fast travel. And then also, there's certain merchants out there that sell maps to the world that will populate a lot of those cities or those towns those villages and a lot of those fence posts that you so you don't have to actually go to them so i think there's three or four merchants around maybe more than that but they have a series of those maps so you buy one of those and all of a sudden your map is full of fence posts so it got to a point where i never really had to ride that awful horse we'll get to that uh, i never had to ride the horse because i could just fast travel kind of anywhere even if I've, even if i've never been there i could fast travel pretty close to it anyway so those things helped me get past a lot of those issues that you're talking about, Ryan. And had I not been had a history of being a weakling, then I probably wouldn't have even thought to do those things. So there you go. Lesson, I guess, for anybody who wants to jump in. D didn't know you could buy a map. Didn't know you could buy a map. Uh, yeah, I never saw that either. <laughs> and and uh, I was going to say earlier that I, I had to go to the Googles to find out if red mutagen was dropped. And I got it confirmed on there because I never saw it either. It was all... Um, blue and green and kind of same thing as Diego. I'm not really into uh, alchemy. so um, I, for one, was going to trust Ryan, but I guess if you need to prove him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just to confirm. Just just to confirm what he's, you know. <laughs> um, but since we're talking about uh, items, one uh, this game does, uh, does something that, um, uh, again, triggers uh, triggers my anxiety with gameplay in that you know, every time you go into a village, you have like uh, multiple areas that you, you know, can search in like nooks and crannies and things like that, sacks and bookshelves and all this stuff. And, you know, if I feel compelled to go through and search every single one of these things and pick up every single one of these things, 
And after a while, you start to realize that um, it's, it's all junk, you know, like, and, and not only is it all junk, but there's a lot of it and none of it is special. None of it means anything. And so like, as you're picking this up, you're like, what the heck am I doing with this? Why am I, why am I going into each of these houses? Why do I feel so compelled to go into each of these houses, pick up this stuff just to later turn around and fast travel to a merchant to, to sell it, you know? And it kind of, you know, made me, it, it almost like, uh, I guess, uh, pulled back the veil for me on what was going on in the world because um, so much of what's going on in the world, uh, you know, tries to make you feel like every little thing is important. But then you come across this junk and, you know, it's so unimportant. It's so useless other than like money and materials for crafting and all that, that you're like, is this really that important? You know, if I go do the side quest over here, does it really matter? You know, are the villagers going to remember that I, that I did, you know, that I cleared out the entire town of side quests and, um, and, and, and merch <laughs> and, and loot and stuff? Are they going to know? You know, not, no, they're not. You know, it's, I'm just going to move on to the next one. And, you know, do I really need to be spending my time doing that? You know, that, that was kind of the questions that I started to ask myself as I was approaching the 10th or 11th hour of game. <laughs> I'll say on that. Um, and then I'll probably let I, Diego hasn't talked in a while and I love hearing Diego talk. Uh, even if it's not about this game, I just le- like to hear him talk. I think this will parlay into some maybe positive things that, that Diego might say, but that is something you're, you're, you're right, Jeremy. That's something that like, I think this game taught me. So I've been thinking a lot as I near 40 years old that like what I've spent a lot of my life playing video games and and what have they actually taught me about like life and 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 being better? And I think Diego's example about having kids and and how kids have taught him how to like appreciate the game. I think it could work in reverse because as art imitates life, life then imitates art, and it's a cycle. And so you could maybe someone without kids could look at this game and if they could understand a way to only focus on what's important, ignore the stuff that's not important, fall into the game's rhythms and let it sort of guide you in a weird way that could almost prepare you for like accepting the chaos that is, that is parenthood. Now I'm not saying everyone who's played this game should go have a child. There's other factors you should probably consider before you do that. But that was one thing that I did take away from this game. Jeremy is like, I, I kind of learned after, like I had the same com- compulsion where it's like, I feel like I need to do everything at least up until a point. Like there's very few games I've hundred percented, but usually in a game up until about 70% of the th- way through, that first half, that first seventy percent, I've done everything, and then it gets to a point when I'm like, I think I, I think I'm good. I can move on, and I can just follow the story missions. This was a game where, when I, you know, for as illogical as as it is to not be able to burn a building down if the door's locked, like we talked about earlier, that's super illogical. It's also really illogical. Yet for somehow I let it pass to store a single fork in a locked chest. Like that doesn't make any sense at all. But for some reason in the world, I'm like okay, I guess maybe forks are really like important in this world. I don't know. Uh, But I let that pass, but it's the same kind of thing where it's like, there's some things in here that just aren't important. There's way more things than I think any sane person should do. And I almost feel like the game is is almost daring you to complete it. It's like, if you complete this game, you're kind of crazy. Don't do that. But here's a lot of stuff if you want to do it. So you have to train yourself to sort of ignore those compulsions to completely rob every individual of everything they've ever owned, complete every side quest to make it look like you're actually a good person after having robbed them of everything. Like it teaches you that. And maybe that is like 
as I'm saying it out loud, maybe that's sort of the takeaway I'll take from this game. Like that's what it's kind of taught me that maybe there are only certain things to really pay attention to um, in life and in games and stuff. So, yeah. You're so wise, Caleb. <laughs> I would say yeah, that, that that's... perhaps you're even an expert oh, gamer. I've been called that many times. <laughs> uh, I, just touching briefly on a couple of things you guys have talked about. Um, the game taught me to not care about the weapons that other people had because they were essentially just inferior versions of the ones that I had already obtained. And I liked using the blacksmiths. So I oftentimes would uh, find the blueprints for a piece of gear or sword that was actually above my, my skill level at that point have them make it, put it away in the stash and just know, like make a mental note, okay, when I get to level 16, I can go pick this up and I'll have an awesome piece of gear at that point. And there was a, there was a game, Ease 8 taught me the beauty of dismantling stuff to then recreate the things that I need. And so I went into this game with that kind of mindset of like, I'll spend as much money dismantling things as I did crafting them. Um, and the, the things that I coveted most were, you know, your blueprints. So I did continue and continuously search through every nook and cranny, not because I was necessarily looking for stuff, but like I, I would find the errant blueprint for, you know, that great gauntlet or cool sword or something like that. To me, that was more valuable than, you know, the junk. And I love that literally there's an item that's called junk and, and that that's just great. That, that was very humorous. The, the game was very enjoyable for me. It had a lot of flaws. Uh, you know, I heard Caleb talk about the horse and that horse is terrible. You know, like you could have put in the horse from, ocarina of time and it would have been a better horse that 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 horse was terrible and and frankly i don't think that Geralt really knows how to ride a horse well because he actually only just calls them roach and like doesn't care about horses and you know one is as good as the other uh and and you learn that in the the quest story of uh him having to do the horse race against that one guy but I'm able to enjoy the game despite its numerous uh, just weird uh, contradictions and flaws, like not being able to bust through a, a locked wooden door or the fact that like food items apparently are, are weightless. Um, th this is like a weird Weight Watchers where like I could, I could carry like 18,000 apples and it, they each had a weight of zero. Uh, some things had zero weight, uh, which makes no sense because you could get, at least give it like 0. 0.0001. But if you're stupid and just, you know, accumulate forever, uh, you're going to do that. Or like those, you know, at first it was kind of cool to see all these little green uh, leaves on the map. You're like, oh, I wonder what kind of cool thing is there. But, you know, by the five millionth same, you know, uh, flower that you get that have the nice alliterative, alliterative alliterative names, usually like blueberry boscus or something like that. 
you know, I, I don't need 80 zillion of those and they're all weightless. So it doesn't matter. I might as well just, you know, keep on doing it. it there are a lot of bizarre choices that went into the development of the game. And uh, I, I think I just kind of like stopped doing so many things like picking up so much stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's the start of the game. I don't mean to keep coming back, but I think the majority what haunts me for this game is probably the first 20 hours of this game for me. And it comes to, and this isn't probably into 20 hours. I think it just took me 20 hours to figure out the game. I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, I'm just throwing a rough ballpark at this point for it. Because I, I know probably nine, 10 hours in this game, there's a lot of me bitching in the group chats and on the Discord about this game, about how much, F, why do I have to fight this this werewolf here? This werewolf is like, it's destroying me. And I'm at this level. I'm supposed to be like the level cap I'm at is supposed to fight this werewolf and it's cheap. Blah, blah, blah. A lot of stuff like that. But I'm picking up drowner brains by, like, the billions. And, you know, I'm like, I, I'm thinking some point I'm going to need, like, to run into a witch. And she's going to say, hey, do you have any drowner brains for me? I'm like, I got a stack for you right here. Don't worry. I don't have to do any stupid side missions. Nope. I don't think I've ever sold a, a drowner brain or a hag heart or a vampire tooth to anybody. Like, nobody asked for any of that. But I was collecting it. And it's available for picking up after you killing the monsters. The only thing that's like really worth going for, like to see if they had a weapon or if they had an item to open a door or, you know, it's or a mutagen. That's really like what it came from for at least killing monsters. Like, I don't think I sold any. Well, I sold like there's their hides. I sold that. But like, I don't think I got much money for like wolf meat or anything. You know, it was, I don't know, st stuff like that, that um, whatever, just doubling down on what you guys are saying here. Within the twenties, the first twenty hours, though, you should have shacked up with Kira. I mean, that's at least worth something, right? That might have been at the end of twenty hours. So I think oh, that okay. that got me got me back in. <laughs> and since you bring it up, let's talk about characters here, because you know there's there's a few characters. I know I have a few here on the sheet here, but we don't need to touch on everybody. But um, the main ones are really just Geralt, Siri, and probably Yennefer. And then there's like a lot of great side characters like Triss. And Dandelion, did you guys like the cast? Did you, you know, um, are you a fan of Geralt now? Did you, did it make you want to go watch the Netflix series? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, I'll tackle this one uh, because the answer to a lot of those questions is no. Uh, and I want to get the negativity out of the way before someone comes in and positively, you know, I think I think the characters were good enough. They were all unique, which I liked, but they were all variations of of quest givers, of, of fetch quest givers, essentially. I mean, even if you were fetching people, if you're fetching like there, there just wasn't a lot of variety in the actual mechanics of a lot of the quests. It was the stories around them that were pre varied. And I think that's the saving grace. But I think one of the one of the core when it comes to characters, one of the core issues for me anyway with the game is that. You know, in RPG by default, a role-playing game, you're supposed to take on the role of a character and sort of let that character live and breathe as you kind of want it to be. Or you, as a player, accept the role of the character as it's prescribed, and you make decisions based off of what you think that character would do, right? So you can do, it's either way. In this particular case, it's the latter, because Ger Geralt is a real person. Geralt is, has a history, so you sort of imbue him, or it, like you take on his personality, and you make choices as he would. But the problem is that part of the lore of the Witcher is that a Witcher is emotionless. The the, the mutations that they've gone through to become a Witcher uh, have stripped them of emotion. And so he has a flat affect the whole time. 
I, I maybe people are going to hate me for this, but I think his voice acting is awful. But it's 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 voice acting. The voice acting itself is probably good, but you can't you can't make the character as he's written have a good voice because it's going to be flat and emotionless by nature. I feel like he was he was trying too hard to be gruff, um, but that might be a figment of 2015 too. A lot of games did that, so I won't I won't pounce on that too much. But he's a character who, by definition, is meant to be emotionless, and that's a hard character to empathize with. That's a hard character to take on to really role play as. So a lot of my decisions when it comes to, you know, you mentioned, uh, s- sorry, what was her name? The first, uh, the first one you romance. These Kira. are the M- I think. Kira. Thank you. That That's the only character I ended up romancing, even though I know there were other options because Geralt, I think is the type he's emotionless. He's going to in- approach every situation as I just need to get the job done. And so anytime it would, there was an option like, Hey, you want to come back to my place or, Hey, you want to, make out or whatever they say in ye olden times you had to press flesh bub press faces i don't know they i would always be like no we get we have a mission to do let's do it i don't have emotions we have a mission to do and so i ended up by the end of the game the only person that was romanced was kira and i think that was almost like you kind of had to i i don't know for sure but the other two i didn't even romance any of them and so but it got to the end of the end of the game and i'm like i've heard stories where like you can have you can romance them both and then they they basically trick you and like tie you up and leave you because you're trying to romance all of them and or you can romance one or the other like but I didn't romance any of them and I'm like wow I either play the game wrong or I play the game exactly like I should have played the game which is as an emotionless witcher who's just about getting the job done and so I think that was part of like it, it just makes it difficult to really sort of become this character um, which is weird because a lot the other witchers at Kara Morden had emotion, especially the the first one you meet who has sort of the 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 short haired one. Uh, I can't remember his name, but the guy who does not have the scar on his face of the two other witchers you meet, other than Vesemir. So I guess there's three others on in Caramorn. He was full of emotion, and he was you know all over the place. So I'm like, well, you already told me witchers are not supposed to have emotions. These guys have emotions. Something failed in the in the. And that's the kind of stuff that hangs me up as as a gamer. So, um, and I understand it might not a lot of people, but as a narrative guy, as a story guy, I'm like that. It, it doesn't work. That do- doesn't register. So, anyway, on to positive things. What do you guys think? <laughs> I think that's you, Diego. <laughs> well, that was probably the the number one thing that I knew about this game going into it. Members of the club that I'm, I'm friends with kind of know I've been a lifelong Nintendo only player, not because I think the other systems suck. Uh, it's just, just the way life turned out. So I only have a switch, uh, no Xbox, no PS4, no PC gaming for me. And so like, it was never even on my radar until the rumors started swirling that maybe it'd come out on switch. I'm like, no way. I mean, but then it did. And I was like, well, that's the game that has the sex scenes. So like, hell yeah, I'm going to get this game. And uh, I, I romance Kira. Um, it is entirely possible to not romance her. You just have to pick a different dialogue selection early on in that conversation. And you can just basically like politely decline her request. And, uh, and the unfortunate thing was like, I wanted to see what her next quest was right after that, which then led me to having to kill her. And I was like, oh, like I just finished like 
banging you and now I've got to kill you. But then I guess that is kind of like Garrett, like emotionless, you know, I only took care of a physical need, not, not one for attachment and bonding. You just, I have want, no attachment. You, just, you just didn't want Yen to know about it. So you're like, I'm oh, sorry. I got to take you out now. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and so it was, you know, a, a ruthless killing. And then she was going to do something horrible and, and pass off some type of magical power or something to Radovid, who, uh, uh, as, as like a kind of quasi, you know, a villain character, uh, was, you know, you just knew that you had to do the right thing. I had, I had found a, a walkthrough on IGN that, uh, is now I know incorrect and, and has somehow been on the internet for five years, completely allowed there to exist, leading people into think that there'd be a way that you could romance Triss without professing your love for her, which would allow you to romance Yennefer later on without uh, triggering the girl getting tricked by both of them and not being able to end up with either of them. So, and I guess what had happened is when the game first came out, it was released by Bethesda because it had a bug in it that allowed you to romance Triss and romance Yennefer and still be able to end up with Yennefer as long as the the dialogue selection was something other than I love you, Triss. But now they fix it. You know, you know, CD Project Red took back the the reins and said, This is our code, damn it. It's bug free. And now the only way that you can romance Triss is by professing your love to her as she's about to board the boat and a, that doesn't sound like anything Carol would do. He would say, like, I I am feeling an increase of testosterone within my loins and must expel. And so, you know, why would you say to somebody that had basically taken advantage of your amnesia for a number of years and, and, and say to her that you love her? Then she's just way too nice. She's, like, too nice to him, you know? Uh, Yennefer is just such a great character for him because she's just like, she's, she's, you know, whipcracker. I'm going to put you in your place. There's one point where she says to him, like, Carol, you know, I don't give praise easily. So when I say it, I mean it, you know? And, and I was like, that's my wife. That that's, that's why I love Yennefer. She's no holds bars. Like, I'm not going to give you an attaboy. When I want attaboys, I go to my guy friends on the Cartridge Club and I show them cool things that I do. And I'm like, oh, yes, here come the attaboys. But I think, Jens, um, I've seen the video of Triss's. Uh, it's like the lighthouse romance scene. And um, I'm sorry, it's just the unicorn is such a better scene. So uh, you got to go with that. And I've, I've done the unicorn scene. I think there's a second scene coming up um, that is at the end of her extra quest. And once you realize like, oh, all I have to do is do the quest that these women are asking me to do. And then that's how, that's how you romance them. You know, then it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like I, I don't do any of the side quests. No, no non-main story quests except those. But I didn't, I was trying to, I, I will admit, trying to hook up with Tris without professing my love. And I was super frustrated because I was just using this IGN walkthrough that told me that you could do it. 
And then I wound up getting into like the, the wiki boards for Witcher and then they were just like, nah, man, that was a bug. It's been fixed for like, you know, the last four years. Uh, somebody should tell IGN to take that down. Somebody should tell them to take it down. They listen. They'll hear this. We'll make sure, you know, at them when we upload this video here. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the funny thing is, since we're talking about romance, and let's just continue on, because those aren't just the only women you can romance in this game. There's actually a, a, a giant list. So, But the only thing is, you you can only lock your into your relationship with either Triss or Yennefer. So, like, you know, you can get with Kira right away. I don't want to say right away, within the first 20 hours of the game, basically. I, I thought they basically... Those are the three in the game, but nope, there's Madame Sansa. Sansa? Oh. Basically, you, you get with her if you win a Gwent, uh, Gwent tournament. I don't even want to talk about Gwent because I tried playing that once and it was dumb. I hated it. So I only played one hand. And I was You could play it everywhere with anybody. Nope. It was definitely like too much nerd for me, you know, when, when I got to this part. You know, uh, I was like, I ain't, I ain't playing Magic in real life. I ain't playing Gwent in, in Witcher 3. So nope. But yeah, then there's there's another one you can get with after you beat her in combat, where then if you go back and visit her, she's like turned on that you beat her, that you know, you're a real man or something. I don't know. And then there's DLC girls that you can get with too. Uh, you know, you have to do the DLC stories. None of these affect your relationships with the woman that you lock in your place with. So Nor did the brothels. I mean, yeah. and and frankly, that's the only ones that I did outside of the the three main characters. Because I think that does fit in with Geralt's personality, right? He's like, I am feeling this craven urge to uh, have my way with flesh. I'll go to a brothel. Yep. There's and there's plenty of them too. So if you want to just you know visit with some prostitutes, go to town, man. It's part of the game. I think so. strumpet is my new favorite term for a for a prostitute. A strumpet. I had no <laughs> idea what that was, and or a courtesan. Courtesans and strumpets. <laughs> But now that we got the romances out of the way, I actually, you know, I would have preferred Trish, and I didn't, I didn't realize it until after I beat the game that she actually could have ended up with Triss. I, I liked her better than Yennefer. Um, there's a quest, and maybe we'll talk about when we talk the quests here in a little bit if that's coming up. That actually, like, I actually liked doing that quest with uh, with Triss, and there's a quest with Yennefer down the road too, where. Um, it kind of put me off on Triss or on Triss on Yennefer, but I guess it was kind of like a. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to this basically here when we talk about quests here. It was basically when it gave me the choice where I, I ultimately th- knew, thought from playing the beginning of the game and watching the Witcher Netflix series that I'm supposed to be with Yennefer. So there's that there's a part where right before you go to the lighthouse scene to do with her, um, Triss is boating, uh, getting on a boat, and you can say you can confess your love with her. And, you know, she leaves and then she comes back. And she's like, I changed my mind. And that's how you lock in your your place with Triss. I didn't realize that. I just thought I'm like, I'm supposed to answer. I was assuming that she would say, like, you know, if I confess my love, she'd be like, I'm sorry. You know, too late. Goodbye. You know, and it's just been a thing. So I just did the answer that I thought I was supposed to do. And I'm going to get with Yennefer down the road. Nope. That's how you lock in with Triss. I don't know. Just wanted to get that out of the way because that if I would have known that I probably would have I probably would have went the other way. So this is the way I look at it: is the narrative of the story and the narrative of Geralt's history establishes that he had something with Triss, but that was broken off for some reason. 
and he's currently in the middle of trying to pursue Yennefer to find Ciri. So I accepted that whatever he had with Triss was over. Like in the narrative of the story, it was over. It was in the past. And so for me to try to rekindle that assumes that I, as the player, know enough about what happened in the past to now forget it and forgive it and to now be with Triss again. So I was like, nope, she's from the very beginning. I was like, there's a reason she's in the past. So I'm just going to ignore her. And that's the way I played it, you know, but, and also Yennefer. I mean, Triss isn't an unattractive uh, lady <laughs> last at all. Um, I think I, I generally just drawn to Yennefer's. She just, uh, there's a line that Kira says at one point, like, you know, uh, Geralt says something to her kind of with a wisecrack. And she says back to him, you you still keep expecting Yennefer to treat you like something other than a dog. And I don't say anything about that. Um, and, and that's, you know, maybe it's just because I'm married with three kids. But, like, I just love a woman who knows what she wants, takes it, and says, like, I, I'm the head cheese here. Uh, and I'm like, yes, ma'am. Yes, Khaleesi. Yeah, so um, I'll just kind of jump in real quick uh, on characters. You know, I'm finding out through this uh, through this discussion that Caleb and I have a very similar mindset on things. So it's almost like one of us could <laughs> just, you know, give our opinions on things and that would be uh, it. Other than I think uh, one of the differences, I do like the swords and magic uh, style thing. But, but yeah, I, I was feeling the same way that a lot of the NPCs were just kind of those, you know, quest givers and, and stuff. But, you know, the voice acting was really well done. But uh, at the end of the day, as you're going through the game, like each of these people are basically just signposts. You're just reading, you know, what quests and then they're telling you where to go and everything. The characters that you do interact with more, I'm thinking like the Bloody Baron or, you know, that commander in that uh, White Orchard area. Uh, those characters, I think, you know, were really well done. But, uh, but the rest of them, I mean, are pretty, pretty forgettable, you know, basically just there to give you quests and just move on and... Um, you didn't okay. remember the lady that wanted her frying pan? I mean, she was so <laughs> yeah. sweet. So, you know, maybe we're getting a little bit ahead because uh, we're going to talk about quests, but was there something more to that quest or was that literally no. just it? Oh, okay. Because I was it. like, is, is there something more? <laughs> oh, okay. That is, here. <laughs> that is one of the magic things of this game, though, I will say, because I hope I can remember it right. But Diego, you said something earlier about, you know, you do this quest it's over with. That was what you were supposed to do. God, I wish I could remember what it was. But I did the same thing. And at the end, oh, it was uh, it was Kira when you prevented her from delivering this uh, the the alchemy recipes or whatever from that island tower to Radovid. Radovid. And I did the same thing. I was like, I'm not. I didn't like Radovid first of all. He just felt gross, and so I was like, I don't like that. And and Kira herself said these concoctions this alchemy these these uh, uh recipes have the po potential to cause great harm and so you're like why would you give that to a king so i i did the same thing you did but there was a side note at the end like during the credit sequence that was like kira because she didn't deliver to this it caused all of this other destruction and chaos and craziness and that was something that I, and I can't remember the specifics, so obviously it wasn't that big of a deal, but it did cause a negative repercussion that I didn't anticipate. And so I will say for this game, that's one of the things I enjoy. And one of the things that CD Projekt Red has promised for Cyberpunk, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, but 
that you're, there's going to be a lot of choices you make in this game that you don't really understand how they're going to impact the overall narrative until after you get there. And you're also probably not going to really understand which choices you made are the ones that led to the narrative outcome. So even if you wanted to go back and replay the game and choose different things to get different endings, it's going to be really hard for you to know which things to choose differently because there's sort of a butterfly effect with a lot of these. And that level of, of depth and entanglement with all of the quest lines is really cool. But to Jeremy's point, they all start as since essentially signposts. Like, I'm going to read this. I'm going to do what this character says and go off in a direction and do it. It would have been nice. Well, I won't even go off and say it would have been nice if it was changed or different or whatever. That's just what it is. And so it, that, that I do respect about the game. Uh, it, it makes it for endless replayability. If this is the kind of game you like, you're going to like it over and over and over again. So did you both kill Kira? Because I didn't. I did. And because like I thought I convinced her to like not do it and just go to somewhere else and that she left. I think that's what I did too. I don't remember killing her, but I killed a lot of people in the game, so I, I don't know. <laughs> well, she she was at the the battle of all like Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah that's me. right. She so, was for me too. Yeah. Yeah. And she used some magic and at the end of it, they go, uh, when there's a funeral, I don't want to say Spoiler for, I don't want to ruin for Jeremy here yet. Uh, what's it called? Uh, but there, there's a part where she's like, if I would have known this, I wouldn't have never came, came here to help. You know, yeah. and then she leaves with the the one guy who's a real prick. The witcher was a prick. I can't remember his name. Um, Both of them? <laughs> <laughs> the short-haired uh, one. Yeah. Yeah. Because then they remember. go on the quest. And I think that, like, in the credits, maybe, of the, the thing, or maybe right after that, too, like, she's like, they went on to do their own mission or yeah. something like that with some narrative voice like that. I got that uh, same one. I got the same yeah. one. So Diego just likes murdering people after he has sex with mm -hmm. them. We get it. We get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the old pump and dump, you know. <laughs> so I, but, uh, I need a place in which to, you know, live out all of the illicit immorality <laughs> that I have to repress uh, here in real life. And, and <laughs> one last thing. I, I love the uh, cultivation of dandelion realizing that he's actually the guy that's written all the glossary items and he's mm -hmm. the narrator as you're waiting for the game to load and all that stuff. When, when it connected in my tiny little brain compared to Matt, Caleb's just like massive, you know, uh, extremities there, I, I was blown away. I was like, Oh wow. That's so cool. Like dandelion is, is this big part of this story. And, He's just so weird. Um, yeah. Uh, it, he wound up being not what I expected him to be. Like, you know, Geralt is almost like, how did I end up with you as a friend? <laughs> but like, I got to save you again, man. So I thought that was a cool, you know, touch. But I, I recognize that so many of the, the characters are, you know, uh, they're kind of eh. And most of them, if you try to talk to them, just have like one-liners to say to you. Because I wanted to be like, I would maybe cyberpunk will be better at that, but I would have loved to have gone up to like every strumpet and had like, full blown conversations <laughs> with all of them about like, uh, so, you know, been to the doctor lately, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and talk to them or, or ask like the ones that are in the bathhouse uh, for uh, Siggy Rubin, like, so, uh, you know, does you normally walk around topless or just in the bathhouse? Uh, but, this game, I think, I'm sure for 2015 was pretty fantastic. In 2020, for someone like me that didn't experience it five years ago, was still pretty, pretty darn cool. 
uh, I'm, I'm grateful for what it is. I will likely f- play cyberpunk when it comes out on stadia. Uh, you know, Caleb has convinced me on, on the benefits of stadia. So I have an account uh, and that's where I'll play it. The only drawback there is it probably won't come out launch day on stadia. So won't matter. I'm, I'm going to have a newborn. <laughs> that's later true. This month, that's fair. That's like, fair. Yeah. The, the cool thing about dandelion too, I'll mention is I wish there, there is a line in one of the, so one of the things I love about the game is that it will remind you what happened when you load a game. So there's those, as the game's loading, it's a little piece of narrative. that's like, so far, here's the story so far. This has happened to seven and seven. And generally it tracks with what I've actually done. So I can kind of remind myself if I've not played the game for a couple of days or something, but there's one of those loading screens where it specifically says like syrup, Geralt and I, Dandy, I, the bard dandelion, have done yada, yada, yada. And that was like, and so at that point, that's when I realized like, oh, so the guy talking is dandelion. I wish I would have had that revelation at the end only. I wish they would not have put that in there because I would have loved to at the end have been like, oh, that now I get it. Because it also, that, that forced me to recognize that dandelion wasn't going to die because otherwise how could he have documented the, these, these endeavors? So then I was never afraid that Dandelion was going to die. I never felt like I had to save him really from anything because he was going to survive everything. His voice is much older in those those narrative clips than in his actual in-person clip. So I knew he had lived a long age. And so all of that, I was like, man, that was really let down because that could have been a really like awesome, like brilliant thing. And I'm I have a very short memory. So I'm the type that like I pay attention when those loading screens happen. I'm reading everything, paying attention because I'm like. I need to make sure I know what I'm supposed to be doing. People who have better memories probably don't have to do that. And therefore that end revelation would have been like, oh man, that's amazing. So I wish they would have not done that, but what are you going to do? You guys blew my mind on this one because I didn't know that was Dandelion. I I didn't, I'll, I'll say this, like I, when those, because those loading screens are long too, at least on, and I'm not trying to throw shade at the Xbox here, at least on the Xbox One X, there's some long loading screens here, and I, I was assuming it's across the board. I can't speak for the Switch because, you know, it's got, you know, flashcards. I, I don't know how long the loading screens are there. But so after a certain point in time with how long they are, I was like, well, I'm going to use this opportunity to go get some water or run to the restroom or, you know, like check check Twitter for something, not paying attention to them at all. So, but it makes 100%, it makes 100% sense for this, for me, because, I mean, I watched the, the Witcher Netflix show before actually playing this game. And Dandelion, and they, they speak of it in the game too. When you know people hear of Geralt, you know, they're like, oh, you know, because they, they have heard of Dandelion telling the stories in, in the Witcher Netflix series. He's like constantly going around for telling, you know, embellishments of what Geralt has done, you know, to, to sell him up. And you know, it's it's just a, a part of his character here, so it makes perfect sense. And I think, but on the reverse side, I think I would have liked dandelion more on the netflix series if i played this game first because at first i'm like this character is just kind of an ass i really don't know if i like this character but like in the by the time playing this game i'm like ah okay it makes perfect sense so i don't know it's kind of like a reverse thing where i would have liked it better dandelion better here if i did this first but i would have liked dandelion here if i did this first fun character i like him part of the part of part of the cast here before i move on i guess we should I want to bring up that I guess probably one of the most important characters in the game that we haven't touched on is Siri. And um, she's kind of Gerald's adopted daughter. Or you almost wonder what's up? Ward, Ward, I think, is what the boss refers to her as. But you know, the 
I don't know. I, I haven't read the books or anything. You, you just assume that there's some kind of more tie. Maybe it's because of the white hair on both of them. You know, it's one of those things where you, you think more too, because her father is what the uh, emperor or something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but, that, that you know, enough guard. But you know, and I, when I was originally talking with Caleb in this chat, I think the first highlight for me in this game was actually playing as her because they you do that a few times. We switch between Gerald and Siri, and I was like. Man, she's a lot more powerful than Geralt is at the start of this point in this game. She's got this great dodge mechanic where you can just like dash twice, basically, and get away from everybody. And her sore, her health refills. You don't have to worry about eating food to get your health back up. Which also reminded me, there is a one um, achievement where if you eat food, your health will regenerate for twenty minutes. Oh, so pointer for you. Put that on your on your Witcher uh, because that's very helpful. You won't have to worry about, you know, in battles, like getting killed too often. That really helps. Anyways, I just want to say I like playing as Siri a lot more than I like this as Geralt. And maybe because of how fast she was and her so- not having to worry about swords breaking. Bonus. I don't know. Did anyone like Siri at all? I, I Like, she's kind of one of the main focal points of the whole game because the probably for two-thirds of the game, you're trying to find her. Because, well, you and mm-hmm. the villains, the Wild Hunt, uh, trying to track her down because she's like the key to all bad things happening or something or stopping it all from happening. So, yeah, Siri is great, man. I don't think I don't see how you couldn't love Siri. Like she's she was great. Um, she, it was interesting because I had the same confusion. I wasn't sure what the f- sort of genetic tie was between her and 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 Geralt. And it sounds like that there wasn't one based on Diego's kind of shaking his head. It sounds like maybe there just wasn't like an actual like familial tie there, which is news to me. So that that's good to know. And, and the fact that she, you know, the whole time I was wondering, like, is she actually a witcher or not? And I realized she wasn't because she doesn't have the mutation cat eye thing. So she's really just a really important human being, essentially, who has just who has been trained like a witcher. So she occupies that space between those two worlds, which is really cool. She's we see her. I'm assuming when we see her later in life, she's probably very young adult, probably like 18 to 20 ish or so I'm guessing is the age. So she's at the age where she's trying to figure herself out when she's in the middle of these two worlds of Witcher and human. And so she has a lot of things going on in her head, which, which I think allow her to be a little bit more to act out a little bit more, which I, which I accepted when it happened. You know, I wasn't like mad at her when she was saying things that I didn't quite agree with. I was like, well, she's, you know, she's a kid. That's what she's doing. So I, I really liked her. I feel like that she, I I always feel like I have to end my statements with, or I don't feel like I have to, I feel like I am ending a lot of my statements with like, but here's where I didn't like it. And I feel like her story was it, it, in order to satisfy sort of gameplay needs, she was always introduced at a time of peril, which forced, which means that she had to have been rescued by like 50 different groups during this entire time. So whatever journey she's on, she would get a little ways get beaten down, someone would rescue her and then she would escape at repeat ad nauseum over and over and over again. So there wasn't really any surprise to her like story, her trajectory. It was always kind of the same thing, but I, I still liked her there. She was a break from Geralt whose control and playability and character. I didn't appreciate as much. So it was a nice break from that. She was more like, I think uh, she was just a more engaging, fun character to play as there. You didn't get the same sort of, role-playing uh, feel so this being a primarily role-playing game it was interesting to then have that role-playing capability completely ripped away from you because you couldn't 
stack you couldn't apply attributes or mutagens or whatever to her you couldn't even pick up loot oh you could pick it up but it didn't mean anything which was weird um because i was still picking up everything when i was her and then i was like wait how do i use this i was like oh i don't so they probably should have just not let you pick that up that would have been helpful but anyway it kind of ripped all of those those choice i uh, possibilities away from you in a game that is supposed to be all about choice but i guess that's okay i mean again i i complain about the overwhelming choice on Geralt's side and then now I'm complaining about having no choice on on Siri's side so I can't be appeased I suppose uh, but overall I, I really liked her and I thought she was a great character to play as did you have did you make the choice for Siri to wear the towel or not when she went into the the sauna I did have her wear the towel uh, so you missed out on some of the fun backstory because oh, really? they basically go in there and say like oh you're so modest and if she's without the towel, you get to see this bad tattoo that she has. And it sparks some conversation with uh, one of the other women. Oh, okay. I should have been because I think I was, I was still role-playing as Geralt. And I was like, Geralt wouldn't want to see Geralt would want her to have a towel. I, she shouldn't, you know, but yeah, that would have been cool. It was, it was, that was a weird scene though, because like those other characters just walking around topless and stuff. And, and <laughs> I was like, I mean, I understand it. I get it. And some of them were old. And I was like, Good, good for mom. you. Good for you because you look great. <laughs> so I was like, man, nice, nice work. This whole living in nature and swimming in streams and springs really works for you. That's that's good. Um, but yeah, I was now I wish I would have probably heard that backstory. So yeah. I, I love Mary also. Uh, I thought she was a super fun character to play in combat, uh, much better at combat, uh, at least in the way in which I play it. I don't think she had any signs or any of the magic ability that Geralt had. So instead she relies upon her speed, which is, um, was a refreshing change of pace. Her sword fighting uh, was really great, you know, and she's only got one sword. So it's just like, I'll just kill everything with, with one sword. I think she picks up the adrenaline points better than Geralt does. And adrenaline is what triggers those cool animations that you're talking about that you slice people kill bill style uh so i love playing as her i loved the cutscenes with her it would be great i i did make the choice selection of like just seeing what the heck she would do uh if i let her have pity on the the kid from that village that rescues her and so he does get she does give him like a, a peck on the lips and it's like, that was your first kiss, wasn't it? And he's like, no, it was Okay, it was. It was. It was my first kiss, but it was with Siri, so I could die a happy man. You know, I was gonna I was gonna mention that on, on my quest here. Because that was a, that was kind of a good I don't know if it's a side quest or just part of the main quest here, but like um because there's a part where he dies and you're reliving basically like there's a part right there where Yen is basically like using his body to tell where Siri's at. But basically, yeah, he, he, did he die protecting her or something like that? I, I'm trying to remember exactly. Cause I just remember like she, Siri wants to go back to at least like before the, the final battle in this game, she's, she's you with Gerald, you know, or helping along before this battle. She's like, well, you know, it's getting to this point. This could be the end. So like, I want to do those things. And there's a part where you get to that part where she's like, I want to visit this village to say, you know, Hey, to this guy one more time, and he's like, "You gotta tell her like he died," you know, and yeah. like, and then his body was like thrown in the dump, 
you know, like, you know, and you have to go get back his body. So yeah, that's how he died. He had, you had to fight a bunch of the black hunt uh, together. And then he rides off on a horse with her um, and he leaves her to, you know, get on this little boat, but then he sees her get attacked. And so he goes running towards her. He's like, Oh no. Um, And that's when he ends up getting killed. Well, yeah. And, and, what was interesting about that scene, so that was, that was a scene that I had a lot of complications with because, correct me if I'm wrong, but he sees her get a, he sees her what he thinks is her getting attacked, but it was really her elven friend sort of, I guess, putting her out of her misery or something so that he can escape with her, right? Like, so he, that was actually her elven friend who was like, quote unquote, kind of rescuing her. It, he thought she was being attacked, is what I thought anyway. But then the ugliest man in the world kind of appears there. And we learned later that that ugliest man in the world is her elven friend who was kind of there with her. So I, I didn't quite understand that. And, and I had some issues with the ugliest man in the world thing too, because throughout, as you're trying to like turn him back into his human self, he's Geralt is telling people, you know, this could be Siri. We need to turn this person back into human because it could be Siri. It could be Siri. When we, as the player already know, it's not Siri because we saw Siri move off on a boat and that elven guy still on the land or that ugliest man in the world still on the land. And we're seeing this story through the eyes of this reanimated corpse. That's telling us the story. So presumably Geralt knows it's not Siri. So I, I, that I didn't quite understand. So I don't know if maybe I overlooked something on that. No, after, after you see that scene, that's the very first time that Yen broaches the subject of like, do you think it's possible that, you know, Siri mutated into that, you know, uh, ugly creature. And Geralt just says, I don't even want to think about it. And hmm. Probably his answer to everything. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I don't have any emotions. It's weird um, though, that we as the player would see that they are definitely not the same person because Siri's on the boat and he's still on the, on the sand. So we, as the player are only are seeing information that Yennefer should also be privy to, but she's still well, like, do you think it's possible? We're, we're seeing what the guy's memory was, but he's articulating it through his now decomposed corpse through magic. And he's talking like this. <laughs> so maybe it's not very clear in the storytelling to Geralt and Yennefer that that's actually what happens. Instead, he just says, Siri, and then there was an ugly monster, and then black hole... I think that's a fail on the storytelling part then because we as the player should have seen it in a way that was mysterious, like more ambiguous. Yeah, they should have they should have reflected almost his ambiguous, unable to speak voice and sort of maybe a grainy kind of filter or something so that we are not sure either. It's because, like you should, have, yeah. you should have seen it in the way that you see the world when Geralt drinks like, you know, if if, if you drink in the open world. And, you know, everything starts to get blurry. He, like, gets buzzed for a while. Yeah. You, stagger. you better hope that there's nobody there to fight because you're going to get your butt kicked. Uh, <laughs> it should have been like that. That's kind of an issue with really flashbacks in general in media is they always tend to show more than you're supposed to as the character or as the person, like, as, as the protagonist in the movie or whatever it is. They always show more than you're actually supposed to know because you can see a visual spectrum of all this stuff in a flashback. When really the person, are they going to remember that the wall in the background was green and that there was a statue here and that there was all this kind of stuff. So we, as the person, know more than what we're supposed to know. Anyway, 
that that's a tirade, but that it's the same kind of concept where I, it just gave us more information than I think we were supposed to know. So it, it just, what, and the unfortunate side effect of that was, and maybe this was only me, but the unfortunate side effect was then for the rest of the entire quest narrative regarding this world's ugliest man, I didn't know what I was supposed to think. And I was very confused because I didn't know if maybe Geralt was telling people this could be Siri only to get them to care about changing him when he himself knew it wasn't Siri, but he was like, Hey, it could be, you might want to come along with me on this journey to fix him. But if that were the case, I feel like he would have confided to Yennefer at some point in private to say, go with me on this. Let's tell people it might be serious so that they will be more willing to help out. Or I, I don't know. I'm, I'm beating this dead horse, but it was, it was a very confusing point in the game for me. And yeah, you seem to know a lot about this storytelling. <laughs> you might be somebody that does things with like books and words and stuff. Or maybe I'm overthinking it and I shouldn't be one of those people ever, <laughs> ever again. Anyway. <laughs> so, I know we were just talking about this, but since, let's bring this back to quests here for a minute here. Did you guys have any favorite quests or side quests to do? One thing I'll I'll bring up here basically is uh, I'll mention, I think, uh, kind of a, a couple serious ones and a, a goofy one that I think I really like probably the best out of all of them. Like the, ser the serious ones, I, I like the Trish date one that you go on a date with her, but you're kind of there undercover to like find this one person, whatever. And I really like whatever the romantic one of it. And I kind of didn't like this. Uh, there's one for Yennefer where you have to do it because there's apparently like a, a curse or bond that you have with her, basically, where you ultimately will always be tied to her. And she wants it broken to see, you know, and at first it's kind of like it seems like she doesn't want to be with you, but she's doing it to see if she still wants to be with you. I I, I didn't like that one too much. Um, granted, it leads back to you being with Yennefer if you lift the curse. But one of the fun, dumb ones is kind of where you get drunk with the other witchers and you can put on uh, Jennifer's dress, basically. You can put on all her dresses, like all the guys get, I don't know. I think that was a, a, that was a good fun one for me. I don't know, you guys have any memorable quests that you like doing or? I like the quest uh, early on in the dandelion thing where you basically got to go to all the different women that he spurned and you're hearing about like how he's such a jerk to, uh, from all of them. And basically he's a womanizer. You know, he leaves women at the drop of a hat, tells them how much it, 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 he sounds like uh, the bard. Uh, and um, I'm expecting to find William Shakespeare when I meet him. And instead I find, you know, the, like uh, the carrot top comedian. And it, it just, it was weird. I, I liked, uh, yeah, Dandelion, the, what I liked about Dandelion's quest is it introduced me to Priscilla, which I think Priscilla is honestly my second favorite of all the She's female great. characters. Because she she knows Dandelion's in some ways a piece of garbage. Although it's fair that he may be, you know, his whole spiel is he elaborates things. So he could be elaborating his own sense of self-worth and therefore the stories you hear about him aren't actually true because they've taken on a life of their own, right? Like he could say... I've bedded 50 women and by the time it recirculates and goes through the populace and comes back to you, it's I've bedded a billion women, right? So he could be lying to his own detriment, but in a way that didn't actually hurt anyone in, so, in some cases. Now there's obvious uh, instances where it's like he did in fact spur all these women, but I, I like Priscilla because I thought she was like, she was, she was close to Yennefer in my eyes. She was very confident. She knew what she wanted. She knew what she was dealing with and was okay with that. So I thought she was really cool. I wish she would have stood around and been a more important character throughout the throughout the place. 
Did um, you pick Priscilla to play the the role in the play, or did you have the other? Lady? Yeah, I had Priscilla. Yep, I had Priscilla. Cause I just wanted to see Priscilla. I wanted to see her more. I wanted to see her more screen time. You know, I wanted her to be there. And then, in terms of quests, though, that like I liked the Bloody Baron quest. That whole quest line was really cool. Um, it was a shame it was kind of at the beginning of the game because I feel like in a lot of ways not many other quest lines topped it. But that introduced the botchling, which was like the first thing that freaked the crap out of me. Like I was, that was the first like character design that I was like, what is going on here? And I really wanted to know more about this botchling. I wanted to know its lore, what, why it is the way it is, what happened with it. So that was a quest that I did follow through to the end in terms of like allowing the botchling to live and allowing the botchling to turn into the hobokin or something whatever it's called um hobokin yeah you know that city in new jersey it turned into that um <laughs> and, uh, i can't remember what it was called uh but um it's uh it, that was a really cool quest it, that that whole thing was just really really cool lots of twists and turns and stuff in that one and then the other one that i really liked was called wild at heart it was a shorter quest but it was one where there were two sisters uh one was married to a guy who got lichen lichen threat Lickanthropy, whatever this thing is, turned you into a werewolf, whatever that's called. He turned into a werewolf, and there was this sort of kind of feud love thing, I think, between them where the guy who was the werewolf, he knew that when he turned into a werewolf, he would kill indiscriminately. So when he knew the werewolf phase was coming on, he would escape to a cabin in the woods and kind of chain himself up essentially so that he wouldn't accidentally murder his wife. You know, because he loved her, but he also didn't want to tell his wife that he had this disease or disorder because then she might leave him or she might be scared and be like, I got to get out of here. So he hid it. But the sister who was secretly kind of in love with him found out about it and wanted to bring the wife to see him as a werewolf. But when she did, the werewolf being a werewolf ended up killing her, killing his wife. And so now the sister who was in love with his wife and or in love with a werewolf and still in love with a werewolf wanted to keep everyone away from the cabin because the sister didn't want anyone to learn the truth of this. I think that's how it went. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I think maybe the wife was still alive. Actually. I don't know. No, she, she, she's, she's dead. dead. Okay. She said, she, she, she set it up basically. Um, basically. Cause she wanted to that's be right. with him. And so that, that's right. And so, so the person, so, but interestingly enough, it was the sister who hired, right. The witcher Geralt to find him, but she also wanted to then say, or someone hired to find him, but then she intercepted and said, hey, I'll give you a bunch of money if you just ignore this quest and tell everybody he's dead. And that's when you're like, I don't know if I trust you. That's a lot of money. I like it, but I have been selling thousands of pounds of junk, so I'm pretty good on money. Let me investigate this. And I, I liked that because it, it involved a very limited number of characters that each played off one another in an interesting way, interesting dynamic. It didn't rely on a lot of like, surprise set pieces or, or crazy, you know, uh, uh, circumstances or, or um, coincidences. It was just very tight and, and interesting story of, of three people with these, with this really weird relationship. So that, that was one of my favorites as well. That, that mission basically too, like gives you a choice at the end. Yeah. Uh, you can either kill the werewolf or let him kill her. Yeah. And then you get to kill the werewolf. Cause he basically, yeah. he comes back then to you and says, you know, I don't want to live with this curse anymore. Please end me and basically just cut his head off. So yeah, I immediately kill the werewolf because I'm, I'm usually when it comes to someone in a video game, who's like, I don't want to be this. I want to be killed. And there's evidence that he's tried to kill himself or he's tried to just like in this particular case, there wasn't evidence that he's tried to kill himself, but like in other games, 
there's evidence of people who are like trying to kill themselves and they can't do it and they keep failing. Like I, 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 I I'm like, I want to honor this person's wishes. So yeah, I pretty much killed him immediately. And of course the sister hated me for that. So well, what do you do? Well, I, I let, <laughs> I let him eat her first. Cause he finds out then too of, of the whole stuff. Cause like, uh, it's one of those things where like you find out, I'm like, yeah, let him do the work first. Then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. And then go Dr. Kevorkian on him. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, again, kind of, uh, uh, saying the same thing, uh, <laughs> but, um, I think I want to start um, give kind of a shout out to like the introduction quest, you know, not not necessarily like, uh, you know, the part where you're like figuring out how to move, like chasing Siri around or doing the combat or anything, but just how, you know, after you conclude that after she goes over the wall, this game pulls you into the into the actual game itself. You know, you're basically, I, I guess, uh, looking at a um, what you call like a memory uh, of something that occurred or, or a dream or something. I don't know. Maybe it's explained later on, but my interpretation of it was that it was a memory. And then all of a sudden just throws you right into the world and the game, you know? So I thought that was kind of a neat way to get you into the game uh, to kind of get that introduction and uh, tutorial stages uh, out of the way without having it interrupt what you're actually doing in the game. So I thought that was pretty neat, but then, also, uh, like a second for the uh, oh crap. Let me sorry. Let me go to my notes here real quick. You, you just said it. The uh, the demon baby. Um, oh yeah, the botchling. The botchling quest. So like coming into this quest, you know, there Geralt's um, describing what's going on and like or describing what's going to happen and all this. And I'm so used to games where it's like tell don't show almost so like he's describing all these kind of like gruesome details and everything and you're like oh wow that sounds terrible you know and then i i would expect like a cutscene to happen or like a, a fade like a, a transition to a later point in 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 the day and then okay well we just we just did that thanks uh you know now everything's all settled now you have to go here but this game actually had you go through the motions. It showed the botchling and then the Lubberkin or whatever it's called, the Hoboken. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Is it Lubberkin? Something like that. Anyway. Let's, um, stick, with, actually, let's stick with Hoboken. Hoboken. Okay, the let's Hoboken. <laughs> it actually shows you, you know, first the botchling and then that and has you follow it around. And I was like, you know, this is actually pretty neat. Like, I feel like games, um, at least games that I'm used to playing, wouldn't even have showed you the shown you the botchling, uh, uh, you know. Ne never, nonetheless, the the uh, Hoboken that comes <laughs> out of it. So I thought that was a pretty cool side quest, and um, I think the first point in the game that really uh, drew me in, and then like um, or started to draw me, and then just real quick, like a side quest that uh, you happen upon where someone's sitting on the side of a road, and there's like a I think there's like a caravan or something that's destroyed and he said he got attacked by these creatures and then you go there and you realize that the scene of the battle has all these arrows in the ground and everything you're investigating it and then you're like hold on a second was that guy holding a bow and then when you go back he's like uh oh yeah you found me out and then gets on the horse and rides off. i thought that was a pretty cool little side quest too in a lot of ways i think this game it, you know, Re uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 is like a really good proxy to this, to what a lot of this game does. You could tell that Red Dead Redemption 2 learned a lot from this game because that ha there's a lot of that kind of stuff where almost every character, at least in Red Dead Redemption 2, like almost every character has 
a backstory that you can actually follow through to the end. You can literally follow characters as they work all day and then go home with their family and sit down and you could actually sit there and overhear their conversation if you had all that time in the world and wanted to do that. But there's also a lot of the, that environmental world building where you would see the impacts of a certain problem or a certain crazy thing that's happened in the world and, and a certain mission. So I, I really like that. One of the things that, as we're talking about the very intro scene you were talking about, I know uh, when you first wake up after that flashback that you have, and it is a flashback just to confirm, I know you were saying, Jeremy, like you were, couldn't remember if it was or not, or weren't sure if it was, but yeah, it was kind of a flashbacky thing. When you wake up next to the tree with Vesemir, um, you can find like Yennefer's crystal raven skull like on the ground and just put it in your inventory. I never found a reason to use that. I is there anything in the game where you actually end up using that crystal raven skull? Did anybody? Okay, I, I, got, I got a lot of shrugs. So uh, I'm sure it's out there. If someone listening, you know, wants to uh, at me at Twitter, Caleb J. Ross, let me know because I'm really curious. Uh, I could also look on Google and probably find out in two seconds, but that's not fun. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it was interesting. I, I just felt like there was always going to be a time when maybe that became really important. Like you show it to Jennifer and she's like, oh, you do care or whatever. Um, and I couldn't sell it because believe me, I tried, but <laughs> yeah, I, it was, I just wasn't sure. So uh, I'm looking it up right now. If, uh, if you're curious about it, uh, apparently you can give it to her after completing the secondary quest, the last wish, if that means anything to you. <laughs> Good to know, but yeah, maybe get more, more uh, scenes with her. So. Same thing. I had that in my bag, and I think it, like one or two other items that you know it said, you know, this was for a quest. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll stumble upon that at some point. <laughs> All right, guys. Did you guys have any favorite enemies in this game, or enemies that stood out to you? Because you know, it was it was interesting. Neat. There's all these like, there's a long list of like things you fight in this game, from just you know bandits and soldiers to um like the undead with these drowners and water hags and whatnot and vampires and werewolves which i thought was kind of neat because all of a sudden like I, i'm playing the game and i'm seeing all these like tropes for like a vampire and sure enough oh, there's vampires in this game and i'm like oh well, that's interesting and oh like you know you see the tropes for like you're fighting these angry wolves and sure enough oh there's a werewolf in this game oh cool but one in group this is a group enemies that stood out to me were the crones it was like three sister witches and you run into them several times in the game. There's a couple of quests for you. Like there's one where they want you to go to this tree and I think is a kill a curse or something like that. But like, I, I, I don't know if you guys did it. I, I lifted. And I said, no, I, I like, I basically, cause I was like, I don't trust the crones. So I just let them free. And I, I forgot what, I don't know if he did any damage, but he seemed more trustworthy, much more trustworthy horse uh, than uh, what's it called than the sisters were, but the crones were three, like three sister witches and you have to deal with them a couple of times in the game disgusting uh <laughs> one, one with the i think the one with the like hornet's nest coming out of her eye that yeah. it was like that was like whoever designed that one or i don't know if that's like in the books that way because this is also based off um a like really old book series but whoever came up with that design is it's disgusting i don't know what you guys thought about the crones yeah the crones the crones are definitely a standout enemy for me. Um, and again, it happens relatively early-ish in the game. And I think that's similar to the Baron, the Bloody Baron quest line. It's kind of a letdown because you get this really cool pieces and then there's not a lot afterwards for me anyway that lives up to it. 
But the crones were interesting for a couple of reasons. One, before you get to the crones, you you hear a lot about sorceresses. And generally, the sorceresses are depicted as just very beautiful women. And in common parlance, just in today's terms, there's probably not a lot of distinction between a witch and a sorceress. Like, we probably think of them as very similar. And so you probably approach this game as, like, people talking about sorceresses, and then you hear people talking about witches, and you're, like, kind of the same. And so you got to meet the crones in the in the bog. And crone, of course, means like, you know, angry old lady or whatever. So I assumed that they weren't going to be quite the beautiful witches or beautiful sorceresses that we had seen so far. Maybe they were just older versions of beautiful sorceresses or whatever. And so I was not expecting to then meet truly disgusting, horrible, like monstrosity type creatures. And so that was incredibly jarring to me. And I was like, well done game for that. I liked that it played into the Hansel and Gretel kind of story that folktale it, it almost me it almost allowed you to see that like these folktales maybe have a quote-unquote real world real world as in there's established lore in a very you know fictional fictional world but there's like sort of referent points and other medium for like having a hansel and gretel type story right like so in the world of the witcher this is a real thing that happens and in our world we've developed the story of hansel and gretel to like sort of account for for this and and they so they give a meaning to the world of Hansel and Gretel which I thought was really really cool but their visual design is just absolutely disgusting uh the hornet eye nest thing that you mentioned Ryan is is absolutely like the worst of it all and I think that's because there's so there's a there's a fear called uh tryptophobia which is basically like a fear of clusters or a fear of holes if you look it up online pictures of, of tryptophobia and if you are repulsed by that then you probably have it. And I absolutely, absolutely am like, I, I, I get a queasy feeling in my gut. And, and so that I reminded me of that. And so I, like every time they came up on screen, I legitimately was like a little bit queasy. And I kind of had this sort of take a step back and look at it through squinted eyes. Like it was very, very like repulsive to me. Thankfully though, this is actually a bug, but thankfully my playthrough the audio voice of the of the crones desynced and so there i couldn't like hear their voice most of the time and so that took me just enough out of the game so that maybe i wasn't as repulsed by the the visuals um so that made a saving grace a little bit there but man those characters were just just really interesting and and, and i love that that design like just incredibly creepy i wish there were more truly wretched designs like that but i feel like the game just didn't deliver on much more than that that was kind of a high point in terms of character design johnny the the little johnny creature was a part of one of the crones quest stories i thought he was really yeah uh, cool and his his lines were very uh witty and, and sarcastic too and i appreciate it but yeah crones for me stood out you know head and tails above any other character in terms of just memorable uh, for for those very reasons, just like totally repulsive. Uh, I think I had the same glitch too, and uh, uh, I encountered that as well. So I, I have nothing more to add. The the preeminence of Caleb has once again. Uh, one of the uh, enemies that stood out for me um, was that I think it was like a witch in the well or something like that. It's it's a pretty early uh, side quest, but. You know, when you're first starting out in the game and you're fighting the wolves and a couple of the other like demon things, it's all pretty like, or and humans as well, it's all pretty standard like combat uh, elements, you know, parry, dodge, hit, things like that. But then when you come across this enemy, you're met with like 
a point where there's like decoys or something set up, uh, you know, where uh, the main one disappears and then three others appear that you have to take out and stuff. So I thought that was a pretty cool, you know, little fight that you had there, but also the character design or the enemy design, I thought was really neat on that as well. Yeah, I found myself going into the bestiary and just looking at the more detailed view of a lot of these characters because the action on screen is so quick in a lot of cases, especially in that. I think that was a one of the wraith types, I think, is is that witch in the well, I believe, like a noon wraith or something like that. But when you go to the bestiary and like look at them up close, you get a lot of like really like you just get a lot of touches like um, I don't I don't know if this example I'm going to give is that particular enemy but there's an enemy late uh, sometime in the game where you get some up close visuals and it's a it's a deceased wraith like character with a tongue that just sort of falls out of the mouth and is like really super long and i love the idea like that this is a the re the way that this creature is created is that it's in love with something or someone that does wrong to her and she dies like in the process and so this is basically like a a yearning like female woman character that 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 is a ghost and disgusting. And so the sort of features that you would think of as like the seductive features of a woman are like exaggerated to be grotesque. Like, you know, like this, like if you wanted to like kiss this creature, you're going to have to deal with this nasty, disgusting mouth. Right. And so that kind of, I love that idea that, that, that these enemy designs would take, take leverage from the very thing that's supposed to make them attractive or that has caused them to become this creature. And, and that's, that's really, really cool design. I love that. But yeah, going through the beastie area, just looking at the detailed images of all of those, you start to pick up on some of those like tiny little nuances and you're like, oh, I see what they did there. It almost makes it a shame that a lot of these characters are so hard to see, like in the actual game, a lot of those, a lot of those details. One enemy that I could not stand. And it has not so much like the battle and fighting. It's more along the line of having to have dialogue with them. And it's not even you, I don't think you rarely you rarely fight them, but they occasionally pop up in some areas and you might have to fight them are the trolls and having to talk with them. God, was that awful? That is just pure awful. I'm like mashing the talk button. I do not care with whatever you have to say because it's just a yeah. and I'm like, oh, you have to read it. I'm like, no, I do not care. You're like in their long conversations and they talk they talk kind of the caveman word, but like it's hard with them talking. I hated it. Hated having conversations. And I, I believe there's more than that character that talks like that in the game. But that one, I remember there's one long conversation with the troll. I'm like, Jesus, this does not end. And, you know, it's just, just mash, mash, mash. I do not care with what anything you have to say or, or how this affects the story whatsoever. Whatever. I just wanted to point that out because I just remembered hating talking to that one troll. So, Caleb, I know you finished the game. So I'm going to ask you this real quick. There's three endings in this game. How did mm -hmm. the game end for you? Uh, Siri became a witcher, which is the one that I was like happy with. The other two, I read up on the other two, like what the other endings could be. And I didn't like them as much. So I'm glad it, it worked out that the one I felt felt was appropriate is yeah. appropriate. So that's the one I got as well. The good end. It's listed as the good ending because oh. there's apparently a great ending, a good ending and the bad ending. Oh, okay. And I got, I got, and I guess it all has to do with, your choice of dialogue with Siri. I guess that's how it affects the, that affects the ending where eventually you run into her, give her a sword and she becomes a witch witchress or something. I don't know. I'd say ending I got, I was very satisfied with it. So just had to, just had to see, cause I know this game's got three endings. So we played Witcher three. We got general thoughts on the game, but what about cyberpunk 2077? Cause I think 
there's a lot of hype for that game coming out right now. Uh, and I think it has to do with Witcher 3, where there's people who love Witcher 3 that it's earned CD, CD Project Red is earned the trust for people, or that's the next big game. They've shown it off for the last couple of years now. It's coming out this fall, knock on wood. Um, <laughs> it, has your hype increased for the game, decreased? Are you still interested in playing it? What are your thoughts on it, the game? I'll go ahead and go first. Um, I'm still incredibly excited about it, even given how much I've I've sort of poo-pooed on, on The Witcher 3 a little bit during this conversation. Some of the things that I didn't like about The Witcher 3 I think are going to be difficult to replicate, thankfully, in, in Cyberpunk 2077, uh, one of those being character control. So The Witcher 3, I thought, controlled awful. It wasn't until 50 hours into the game, uh, two hours before I finished it, that I realized there is an option in the menus to change the character movement from alternative to standard. Now, why alternative is the default, it's standard is not, doesn't make any sense, uh, just based on the name standard. But basically, uh, switching that makes the character control a little bit less reactive. So by default, you move a character up, you press left barely, and the character just immediately turns left, and it's very jarring to me anyway. I wanted something more like I see with a lot of third-person action games where it's a little bit more floaty. You press right, and the character kind of veers to the right a little bit. Now, I understand a lot of people aren't going to like that, which is probably why that's not list, that's not the default in the game. But had I know, had I had that at the beginning, I probably would have those first few hours would have been a little bit easier for me, and I probably would have come to it with a bit more optimism. But I, I, with a first person perspective, you know, that's not really going to be possible. Like you can't really mess that up. So I think that's going to be eliminated, which is great. I and also the other thing is the aesthetic. I said earlier that I'm not a swords and sorcery guy. I am, however, very much a post-apocalyptic guy. The Fallout series is one of my favorite series, and so Cyberpunk 2077 is is absolutely just visual, like worldwide, something I'm more interested in. So I'm still super excited about it. I think knowing how quests intersect with that, like having experienced The Witcher Three and knowing how quests. Uh, the, the direction of a quest can be seeded in a way that you might not necessarily anticipate or know. That's interesting to me and really cool. So I'm hoping Cyberpunk will hold my attention through an entire playthrough enough that I will want to immediately play through it again so I can make different decisions. The Witcher 3 has also taught me that, uh, again, there's going to be probably a lot of quests that I don't have to pay attention to. And that's something before The Witcher 3 that I, I was not very good at. And The Witcher 3 has kind of taught me, like, it's okay to not do everything. So I may approach uh, Cyberpunk with that understanding, and, and it may help me understand, uh, appreciate it a little bit more. And I think also Cyberpunk is going to help me adopt the role-playing ability a little bit more. Like, in most games, uh, RPGs, I tend to default to, like, the white knight or the golden knight like archetype where I just do what I feel is the best answer, best thing to do. Like what I, th I want to save people. I want to help everyone. The Witcher three, I sort of fell into Geralt's personality a little bit more. And I was like, no, I'm going to do what Geralt should probably do. And I think I'm going to be able to take that into cyberpunk 2077 in a way that I wouldn't have been able to do had I not played the Witcher three to get into that. So if I pick say the nomad class, which there's three, life story trajectories you can pick in cyberpunk 2077 i will probably pick the nomad i'm from a very small town myself and i feel like that'll just kind of make sense small town trying to make it in a big city kind of thing and i'll be able to like make choices that a nomad would make rather than choices that i caleb would make and so that's going to be helpful so I, I am very much looking forward to it i guess the is the short answer to that long answer yeah i guess it depends on uh if i'm done with my uh playthrough of dragon quest 3 when it comes out no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, so um, 
I don't know if uh, this game has really affected my uh, opinion on whether or not to get Cyberpunk 2077. I uh, am someone who typically uh, waits for either like complete sets, like um, I got with this Witcher 3, uh, you know, for 15, 20 bucks or something like that. So if I do play, it'll probably be, you know, in two or three years from now when it's um, deeply discounted and uh, probably a, a game of the year collection if something like that um, exists. But I wanted to uh, uh, comment on something um, uh, Caleb brought out. That that uh, that movement mechanic is actually what caused me to turn it off about ten minutes into the uh, introduction because I'm, you know, moving him around and he's just like so jumpy and fidgety. And I think I made a comment in our uh, chat that uh, uh, all I want is. Uh, you know, the Batman movement from the Arkham series. <laughs> like, so much of this game feels like that, like, down to the investigative uh, points of that, you know, the combat, uh, minus the rhythm aspects of it, but the dodging um, aspect of it, you know, felt felt like some of the, uh, some similar mechanics and everything, and uh, all I wanted uh, was basically, um, you know, Batman in a Geralt skin, like, how he moved around the world and everything. It's interesting to find out about the uh, control scheme changing from alternate to standard. Yeah, try that and see if that gets you back into it. Because when okay. I discovered that, I was like, man, I wish I would have had this from the beginning. Yeah. So yeah, try because that. It's so it's so laborious, like <laughs> moving him around. Like every time you touch him, he like twitches in, in one direction. And it's like that that may also change uh, the answer to a question, you know, that we had was uh, if you haven't finished it, w- would you? And I would say now my answer would be no. But um, I think I might fire it back up and uh, change the movement of the character and see if that helps uh, me a little bit with that. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, I was a little nervous about uh, jumping right into Witcher 3, not having played any of the other games. I'd never really heard of the series until Witcher 3 came around anyways. I'm really nervous about 2076 cyberpunks to catch up on the lore of, but you know, Caleb, you, you sold me. Like, I'm going to dive right into it. Cyberpunk 2077, day one. So for myself, this is, I can say, I honestly have, this is the first Witcher game I've played. It's they've been out for, I don't know, this is the third one, but according to CD Projekt Red, it's the final installment in their Witcher series. Um, yeah, I've never played any, but the Cyberpunk 2077, I, I will say, I don't think I was hooked in right away from any of the trailers to begin with. Like, it looks fine. Don't, don't get me wrong, it's just one of those things where I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I'll play it, but it's not like it was never something that was like, oh man, that looks awesome. I need to play that day one. I, I'm always, I'm kind of like Jeremy, where like I like complete editions uh, and sales and everything. And there's, I rarely buy games day one. It's kind of like there's usually just a couple a year that are like heavy hitters that I'm like, yeah, that'll be a game. And then everything else I'll buy on Black Friday. And I think after Witcher 3, that's that still holds true with Cyberpunk for this, where I'm not going to be day one on this one, so I'm going to be trying to avoid spoilers online for, for, for some time. But I think I will pick this up. I just got a funny feeling with how hefty of a game this was and the DLCs. I hear the th- DLCs, which I have yet to play, are like 30 hours each. Uh, like I, I will almost wait for the, them to be a complete game because I got a funny feeling. Unless they come out and say there's going to be no additional DLC for this, it's just going to be a game that's one long game or something like that, then maybe I'd be willing to jump on it faster. But I have the, I have the impression with what they did with Witcher three, that they, they're going to do the same thing again here. 
I I want to say I'm going to go to the DLC because I I did enjoy the game and now I feel kind of strong enough to maybe jump into the two DLC packs. But I, I feel as if I need a break before I doing that. I I kind of want to play something else after putting 76 hours into this game. I, I kind of need a break. It's like I said I enjoy what I played, but uh, I I probably come back. Just need a break. Anyone else uh, feel about jumping in the DLC or going to finish the game? I'll finish the game. Uh, definitely got to romance Yana for the second time. I want to see what the ending is, is like with her. Um, I doubt I'll do the expansion packs. You know, doubt I'll ever play it again. But it, it's it's enough for me to finish. Uh, no, no DLC for me, uh, and that's not because of this game. I'm just generally a person. Once once the primary story is over. I just, even if I love the game to pieces, I feel like DLC by its very nature is an additional thing that's not integral to the story. I play video games often for the story and I feel like that's, that's it. it, There's a reason that DLC is not part of the core game. One is because they want to sell you additional stuff. Now I understand CD project red, their DLC is always free. Um, But uh, I, it's like, I want to sell you some stuff or this is stuff that wasn't necessary to make the first, a cohesive experience, right? So I'm usually like, I have this distaste for DLC from that perspective, and so I rarely do it. Like Horizon Zero Dawn, one of my favorite games of all time, I have the complete edition, so I I bought for I bought it for like twenty dollars, you know. So, but I still like even after I completed the game, I was like, that's one of the best experiences I've ever had. Oh, there's DLC. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> so I'm I'm weird like that, I guess. Yeah, I feel a similar way. Uh, we'll we'll see, you know, uh, kind of how things go um, in my subsequent playthroughs, but I, I doubt it. Like, as as much as I'm kind of double speaking a little bit about like wanting complete editions, it's more for like just a completionist and collectionist <laughs> that I don't always or often get into uh, the DLCs. Um, a good example of that is the uh, the new Tomb Raider games, which um, I saw that Caleb really enjoyed. I, I enjoyed those myself never really felt compelled to jump into the DLCs despite having the, you know, complete editions of them. Um, so uh, I doubt it, um, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> That's the show, everyone. But before we wrap this up, I want to say thank you for our guests for joining me on the show today. Uh, Caleb, where can we find you on the internet? I can be found uh, at Caleb J. Ross, the letter J, not like the word, all one word, Caleb J. Ross, on pretty much everywhere. Twitter and YouTube is where I hang out the most. Thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun. Jeremy, where can we find you on the internet? Yeah, so uh, Twitter, uh, at Jeremy3EB. Um, I'm an infrequent checker of that, so um, <laughs> and updater. Um, but yeah, that's where I am located on the internet. Diego, where can we find you? Uh, I'm hanging around in the discords, uh, primarily Cartridge Club uh, Discord and uh, Polykill Discord. And I will comment on your YouTube videos, though very rarely make anything of my own. Perfect. Well, for myself, you can find me on Twitter with the handle is Rocket Sauce, Instagram, same exact handle. You can also see me in the discords, and sometimes we do uh, CC Hangouts. So I'd like to reiterate September's game of the month will be God of War 2018. If you're playing along or just want to discuss the game with us, make sure you do so by using the hashtag Cartridge Club on whatever social media platform you frequent. For those of you wanting to get a head start on October's Game of the Month, we'll be playing Parasite Eve for the PlayStation 1. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out to us. We're always looking forward to having new community members on to talk about the games they love. Over at the Quick Save Club, they'll be playing Torchlight 2. 
For those of you interested in supporting the club beyond a review on the podcast app of your choice, I'd like to mention that the club is entirely funded by pledges made from members of our community. We are extremely grateful to those supporters, and if you're interested in becoming one of them, please look into how you can do that at patreon.com forward slash cartridge club. But with that being said, that's the show, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. CC Unite. When a humble bar graced a ride along with Geralt of Rick, along came this song. When the white wolf fought a silver-tongued devil, his army of elves at his hooves did they revel. They came after me with masterful deceit, broke down my loot and they kicked in my teeth, while the devil's horns minced our tender meat. And so cried the witcher, he can't be bleed. Toss a coin to your witcher, O oh valley of plenty, O oh valley of plenty, oh. Toss a coin to your witcher, O oh valley of plenty. of the world, fight the mighty horn that bashes and breaks you and brings you to more. He thrust every elf far back on the shelf, high up on the mountain from whence it came. Wiped out your past, got kicked in his chest. He's a friend of humanity, so give him the rest. That's my epic tale. Our champion brother defeated the villain. Now pour him some mail.